0: Welcome to the Pearl of Great Price podcast, thanks for joining us today, it's the 24th of June. On this day in Christian history we go back to the year 2005, we travelled to Flushing Meadow in New York, where the American evangelist Billy Graham began what he said would be his last North American crusade. What he called crusades were effectively large scale preaching missions. And he had started this in 1949 in Los Angeles. Because of these so-called crusades, it is asserted that Graham preached the gospel to more people in person than anyone else in the history of Christianity. He certainly died a wealthy man with about $25 million to his name, but his reputation for integrity and sincerity was intact. And to lead such an effective ministry your reputation intact is invaluable. His wealth is also a shadow of his contemporary Kenneth Copeland, who is worth more than $300 million. His preaching style made him famous, simple, a direct message of sin and salvation, delivered energetically and without condescension. And after a brief and undistinguished stint as a pastor of Western Springs Baptist Church in the suburbs of Chicago, Graham decided to become an itinerant evangelist. The son of a prosperous dairy farmer, he grew up in rural North Carolina, and as a young man, he had a religious experience at a revivalist meeting led by Mordecai Ham, and professed his decision for Christ. In 1936, he left his father's dairy farm to attend Bob Jones College in Cleveland, Tennessee, but he only lasted a semester, finding its extreme fundamentalism problematic. He transferred to the Florida Bible Institute near Tampa, was graduated and ordained a minister by the Southern Baptist Convention. It was at a time of tension for Protestantism in the United States where there was a deep divide between fundamentalists and modernists who wished to apply scholarly methods of textual and historical criticism to the study of the Bible. The Scopes trial of 1925 had damaged the image of fundamentalists. See the podcast of May the 5th. And the social critic H.L. Mengchen successfully portrayed all fundamentalists as uneducated country bumpkins. There was a large-scale withdrawal of fundamentalists from the established Protestant denominations, which they regarded as hopelessly liberal, but also from larger society. And so America saw a growth in sectarianism. Billy Graham wished to disassociate himself from this withdrawal, and he seized on the opportunity presented by new media technologies, especially radio and television, to spread the message of the Gospel. Whilst he was on a spiritual retreat in San Bernardino mountains of Southern California, he set aside his intellectual doubts about Christianity, and decided simply to dedicate his life preaching the Gospel. After his retreat... He began preaching in Los Angeles where his crusade brought him national attention the newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst was impressed with the young evangelist preaching and anti-communist rhetoric and he instructed his papers to give him beneficial coverage and so from Los Angeles Graham undertook evangelistic crusades all around the country and then the world eventually earning him international renown By the end of his life, the theologian J. I. Packer attributed an evangelical convergence to Graham. Up to 1940, it was every institution for itself. There was nothing that was unitive about the situation. There were little outposts of resistance trying to keep their end up in the face of the liberal juggernaut. Increasingly, from the 1950s onwards, Evangelicals came together behind Billy Graham and the things he stood for and was committed to, and it continues that way to the present. Graham faced criticism from both liberals and conservatives, with liberal intellectuals like Reinhold Neiber calling his message simplistic. And on the other end of the theological spectrum, fundamentalists never forgave him for cooperating with mainline Protestant clergy in a famous 16-week crusade at Madison Square Gardens in New York in 1957. His willingness to cross divided lines made him compromised in their eyes, especially for cooperating with mainline groups and the National Council of Churches. He infuriated segregationists when he invited the agitator Martin Luther King Jr. to pray at the 1957 New York City crusade. But again, civil rights activists accused him of cowardice for not joining them on protest marches. Building bridges, and widely respected for his sincerity, he became close with several American presidents, from Eisenhower to George W. Bush. He became politically close to Richard Nixon. And during the 1960 presidential campaign, he met in Montreux, Switzerland, with other Protestant leaders to devise a strategy to derail the campaign of John F. Kennedy in order to secure Nixon's election and to prevent a Roman Catholic from becoming president. Graham later mended relations with Kennedy and he eventually developed amicable ties with many American Catholic Church figures and later encouraged unity between Catholics and Protestants. However, as Nixon's presidency unravelled amid charges of criminal misconduct in the Watergate scandal, Graham reviewed transcripts of Oval Office tape recordings and professed to be physically sickened by his friend's use of foul language. Captured on the tapes, Graham agreed with Nixon that Jews control the American media, calling it a stranglehold during a 1972 conversation with Nixon and suggesting that if Nixon was re-elected, they might be able to do something about it. He would apologise for this 30 years later when the tapes became public. And he said, Although I have no memory of the occasion, I deeply regret comments I apparently made in an Oval Office conversation with President Nixon some 30 years ago. They do not reflect my views, and I sincerely apologise for any offence caused by the remarks. Behind his charisma and his forceful preaching was a sophisticated organisation, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, which was incorporated in 1950. And it performed extensive advance work in the form of favourable media coverage, cooperation with political leaders, coordination with local churches and provided a follow-up programme for new converts. He was one of the pioneers of the use of television for evangelistic purposes. And during the 1980s, when other television preachers were embroiled in sensational scandals, Graham floated above the fray. He was known to practice what was called the Modest Manifesto, which is widely practiced among some male evangelical Protestant leaders, in which they avoid spending time alone with a woman to whom they are not married. It is adopted as a display of integrity, a means of avoiding sexual temptation, to avoid any appearance of doing something considered morally objectionable and to avoid being accused of sexual harassment or assault. It is now known widely as the Billy Graham rule and in six decades of ministry no one ever levelled a serious accusation of misconduct against him like another famous Christian of his time, Pope John Paul II, Graham was involved in geopolitics. In 1982 he visited the Soviet Union agreeing to preach the Gospel at the invitation of the government. However, unlike the Polish Pope, he was easily manipulated by the Communists. Despite having met the Siberian Seven, Pentecostal dissidents who were seeking political asylum, Graham was quoted as saying he had not personally seen any evidence of religious persecution. Some called him a traitor, but he insisted he would go anywhere to preach as long as there were no restrictions on his freedom to proclaim the gospel. He returned claiming he saw the hands of God working in the Soviet Union. However, after the fall of the Soviet Union, President George Bush Sr. said, Eight years ago, one of the Lord's great ambassadors, Reverend Billy Graham, went to Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union and upon returning spoke of a movement there towards more religious freedom. Perhaps he saw it before many of us because it takes a man of God to sense the early movement to the hand of God. He won a spot on the Gallup organization's most admired lists, more than any other American. He received both the Presidential Medal of Freedom and he and his wife received the Congressional Gold Medal of Honour, the highest civilian award bestowed by the United States. And in 2001, Queen Elizabeth of England, who was an admirer, made him an honorary knight. His wife died on the 14th of June 2007, and the couple had been married for almost 64 years. He died 11 years later, in North Carolina at the age of 99 and became the fourth private citizen in the history of the United States to lie in honour at the United States Capitol Rotunda in Washington, the first religious leader to be so honoured. He was buried beside his wife in a pine plywood casket, handcrafted in 2006 by convicted murderers the Louisiana State Penitentiary, and topped with a wooden cross, nailed to it by the prisoners. That's all from the Polar Great Price today. Join us tomorrow if you can, as we look at Pope Pius XI and his commissioning of an American Jesuit to write an encyclical condemning Nazism, which was never to be released. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Visit us on www.pogp.net and if you'd like to contact us to request a topic or ask any questions then email us show on pogppod at gmail.com Please subscribe if you can and have a lovely day wherever you are. Thanks for listening.